Sometimes we just need someone to set the record straight. Every now and then, we need a person who has our best interest at heart to look us in the eye and tell us the plain spoken truth. In a snowflake generation that can no longer take the heat, we need a fresh baptism of no-nonsense, undiluted truth from the Word of God. If you are open to this type of challenge to your soul, then you are about to be helped with today's episode of Mavericks and Misfits. Welcome back to another episode of Mavericks and Misfits. Thanks for tuning in. For you that are very first-time listeners, welcome. We're glad that you have stumbled across this podcast, and um, my prayer is that you will continue to listen. I think it's uh, been an incredible journey. We're about a year and a half into the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, and uh, really just, quite frankly, enjoyed being able to do this. I've done um, television for so long, and you know the typical stuff on on websites and so- social media and YouTube and all that, but the podcast is um, given us an outlet to release some things that. Uh, is in a different format to a different audience and really in a different kind of uh, uh, template than what I do anywhere else. And um, we just love the fact that we're hearing from some of you guys and uh, that it's making a difference. Uh, for many of you that are listening outside of my home state of Georgia, we want to welcome you. And for those of you that are in other parts of the world, man, we, we got a list. Somehow Josh, uh, our technical producer for Transform Truth, got a list of where uh, Mavericks Misfits is being listened to. And uh, a lot of countries all over the world. So I thought, you know, it's just an amazing time to be living as a Christian that um, we can have influence globally um, where, you know, generations before it was impossible. And really all you need is a computer and a microphone and you can be doing the same thing for the glory of Jesus. And uh, that's why we do it, man. Uh, That's the bottom line. The bottom line is we do what we do for the glory of Jesus. We know that he's coming again. Uh, I believe personally it's very soon. And so my urgency that you'll pick up on in every podcast is not fake. It's not manufactured. Uh, we don't have time to be caught up in casual Christianity or status what status quo representation of the Christian faith, especially here in the Bible Belt where I live. But I live with an urgency, man. I'm like, I'm really, really, really wanting the the rest of my days to count for the glory of Jesus. And um, so we we've, we've put together Mavericks and Misfits to reach those who are maybe disenfranchised with the modern day 21st century lukewarm, diluted, bland, compromised, shallow, superficial, feel-good version of the church. And if you think that's highly critical, I think it's highly accurate. I think that's mostly what's going on in churches today. Hallelujah. There are many that are, um, you know, defecting from that kind of representation of Christianity and really going after kingdom. And I applaud all of you who are part of churches like that. Some of you lead churches like that. And I thank God for you, but let's just go ahead and call it what it is. The, the, the reality is most churches, most pastors, most leaders, um, are living in a, um, shellacked <laughs> version of Christianity with a lot of polish, a lot of veneer, but not a lot of oil and not a lot of fire. And we need the oil in the fire of the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons I believe that the church is in the state that she is in is um, primarily because we have forgotten that there's a cost attached to what it means to follow Jesus. There's, there's a sacrifice in our sanctification. There is a, there's a price to be paid as a follower of Jesus. Now, here's the great and glorious news of the gospel. Salvation is free. Salvation requires nothing of you but a willingness to bring the sin that made your salvation necessary to Jesus. 
That's what salvation requires of you. Acknowledging your spiritual corruption, your bankruptcy, your deadness, your depravity. Apart from Jesus Christ, I don't care how polished, how beautiful, how wonderful, how sincere, how moral, how religious, how dutiful, how disciplined, how faithful you are. Apart from Jesus Christ, all of our own manufactured righteousness is nothing more than filthy rags. And if you really want to know um, what, what we have to do is we have to humbly, in a spiritual brokenness, acknowledge that uh, we need Jesus. We need him. And um, I think that as we move closer to the end of the age, we just need to be living with an urgency that we don't need him just to be saved and go to heaven, but we need Jesus for our whole life purpose. Uh, we need Jesus to help us in day-to-day -day living. We need Jesus to help us complete the mission that he attaches to our lives. We need Jesus to be good citizens of a very chaotic nation. We need Jesus to help us be faithful in our finances. We need Jesus to help us be uh, holy in our relationships. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need Jesus for everything. And unfortunately, because of the shallow misrepresentation of what it means to be a Christian over the last 40 or 50 years in the church in America, people just think they need Jesus to go to heaven. And basically they pray a prayer. They walk an aisle, they get water baptized, they are taught to not to do like these nine bad things that they used to do, and they're taught to start doing these five good things that they need to do, and that's their packaged version of Christianity. And that is not what Jesus died, rose, ascended, and is returning for. He's not returning for that. And I would say with, you know, just um, compassion, but a clarity, um, some of you are deceived. Some of you are deceived. You have prayed and asked Jesus into your heart and some spiritual authority told you now you're going to heaven and um, you, you're trying real hard and all the strength of your own energy not to do the bad stuff. And you're trying hard to, you know, you know, squirt out a few good works here and there. And um, you, you don't have a compassion uh, for the king. You don't have a you don't have a desire in your heart is a better way to say it, to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. You've just attached Jesus to the rest of your life. And he's just a part of your life instead of being centralized as the essence of your life. And so I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts today that, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I don't make any apologies for it. my primary goal is to give you a little holy harassment today. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, really not wanting you or me for that matter, or anybody, to feel comfortable in our distance from the king. So much ministry today is focused on helping people feel comforted in their dysfunction instead of being delivered from their dysfunction. A lot of ministry today is to help assuage the guilt and the shame of living a mediocre life. In other words, we repeat, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Well, the key phrase there is to those that are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. But to those who are in casual Christianity, but not yet fully surrendered to Jesus Christ, um, listen, there is condemnation. You're stuck. And I, I want, I pray right now, I'm just going to pray it. Holy Spirit, open the eyes of anyone who is deceived by a non biblical representation of what it means to be born again. Holy Spirit, would you give some deep loving harassment to those that have bought in to a less than version 
of the kingdom than what Jesus died for. And Holy Spirit, do for them what you did for me in 1994. Shake them awake. Shake them awake, Holy Spirit, that they may no longer snooze through their days being deceived by a less than version of what Jesus died for. And I ask that in the name of Jesus for the glory of Jesus. So this this reality is that there is a pain in your sanctification process. So if you're a, if you're a Christian, I want you to know something. There will be a pain in your sanctification process. There's actually going to be an awareness of loss. There's going to be a, an awareness of the war between flesh and spirit. There's going to be an intentionality of you putting to death the enemy inside of you which I would call that your flesh. That's what the Bible calls it. The flesh and the spirit war against one another. And so though we are redeemed, though we are forgiven, though we are justified, though we are secure in what Jesus has paid for us, therefore the father looks upon us. And when he looks upon us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus on us that he has placed upon us. But in the midst of that justification and that born again state that you live in, there is a call for you to endeavor to become more like Christ because it is in that endeavoring. It is in that dying to self. It is in that crucifying of the flesh that you are actually practically speaking, you in your practical living, you become more like Jesus. Therefore, you're a greater reflection of Jesus to a world that does not know him. Plus the, I don't want to skip this. The more you die to yourself, the more you enjoy Jesus. That, that People need to get that. That when we're talking about sanctification, we're not just talking about some religious you know, cross that you're carrying. Oh my, I'm wretched. I must die to self so that I can please God. <laughs> That's not what sanctification is all about. Sanctification is becoming like the one you love the most. Sanctification is being so enthralled with Jesus Christ that you live with an awareness that you can become more like him. And you've realized over time that as you become more like him, you know him better and therefore love him more and enjoy him more. It's highly relational. It's not clinical. It's not forensic. It's definitely not religious. Sanctification is highly relational. So what does it mean to be sanctified? It means for you to set apart yourself for God. It means that you intentionally set yourself apart in your, everything that comprises your life, you set yourself apart from God. And you actually have to learn how to do that as you begin to do it. But my concern is that a lot of people haven't begun to do it because the church has not really preached this in a long time. Or if they have preached sanctification, it's more about legalistic rules and duties. Uh, give me a second here. I'm going to pause and take a quick sip of coffee. Paul wrote to his protege. He was Paul discipled, mentored, whatever you want to call it. A couple of young pastors that we find spoken of in the New Testament, primarily Titus and a young man named Timothy. And uh, Titus has one book. It's a letter that Paul wrote to Titus. It's called the book of Titus. And Timothy has two books named after him. It's two letters that Paul wrote to a younger pastor, Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, I want you to listen to verses three and four. This is second Timothy chapter two. And this is by the way, the last letter Paul wrote that's in the Bible. So after second Timothy was completed shortly there after Paul was martyred for following Jesus, he gave his life for Christ. And so important is the last words of Paul 
And so the book of Second Timothy is kind of the last summary words of Paul. And here's part of what he said in those last words in Second Timothy 2, 3 through 4. He's talking to Timothy and he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Did you hear that? Paul paints the Christian life in the metaphor of a soldier. And it's not just for Timothy, it's for you. And it's for me. It's for all Christians that the reality is, as Paul made no um, bones about it, that the Christian life is war and that because it's war, all Christians are soldiers. And so this is what he said to Timothy. Timothy, you need to share in suffering. And that proves that you're a good soldier of Jesus Christ. A good soldier does not go AWOL because of suffering and hardship and difficulty. As a matter of fact, when a soldier enlists, he expects hardship and suffering and difficulty. That's true in the natural. Um, look, they bring it to him right off the bat, basic training. You get broken down. You get, I mean, literally basic training is nothing but intentional affliction and pain and discipline being forced in to the new soldier candidate or whatever branch of the army, or branch of armed services they're in. And they, they are broken down. They know how to follow authority. They are brought into submission. They understand rank and they're equipped. They're equipped. And it's through hardship that they're equipped. And what Paul is saying here is in one sense that the Christian never gets out of basic training because there is a continual reality of pain and hardship. But notice what he says. He says, Timothy, I want you to proactively share in it. I don't want you to live to avoid it. I want you to expect it. And when it comes, I want you to embrace it. And that's going to make you into a good soldier of Jesus. And part of that is what is said in verse four, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So in this metaphor, we are enlisted by King Jesus to serve in his army. Every single Christian enlisted by King Jesus to serve in his army. And we have that desire to please our king. We have the desire to bring pleasure, to advance the honor of, to establish the glory of, to fight for the mission of King Jesus as a soldier in his army. And in order to do that, we can't get entangled in what Paul calls civilian pursuits. In other words, as a, as a, as a soldier of Jesus, we, we have to embrace the pain that part of our sanctification is we have to come out of the world. We can't get entangled in civilian pursuits. Now, let me tell you what that means. That just means you can't live for the life of a non-soldier. That civilian, the difference between civilian and active duty or enlisted. A soldier versus a, a civilian is, is juxtaposed there. And Paul says, hey, since you're a soldier, don't live like you're not. Since you're a soldier, don't pretend you're a civilian. You're going to operate in a completely different mindset as a soldier in wartime than you would as a civilian in wartime. And Paul is saying here, you can't get entangled in the things that have nothing to do with your enlistment. And so what does that mean? It means don't live for the world. There are so many thorny entanglements that um, come at us. Um, the pursuit of riches, I think, is the number one thing. A lot of Christians want to pursue riches when Jesus clearly said, you cannot love God and gain you can make money as a Christian, and I think we need more Christians that do make money, but rare is the Christian that can go after finances and not forfeit his or her position as a soldier. They, they start looking more like a civilian because they exempt themselves from the battle. They are no longer set apart for the things of God. They're set apart to make money, and it's a clear deception. 
And I think that that's a huge thing. You can't live for self. You can't live for beauty. You can't live for fame. You can't live for success as defined by Western standards and ideals. That literally you have to train yourself to think, I'm actually living in this world that I have nothing to do with other than to fight for the glory of my king. And so, yeah, I mean, sure, you got to pay your bills. You, you know, you probably need transportation. You need shelter. You need clothes on your back. And Paul doesn't say you can't have those things. What he says is you cannot live for those things or you will be entangled in civilian pursuits and you will forfeit your set of, you're being set apart as a soldier. Um, Paul even goes a little bit further when he wrote the church of Corinth, he told them in chapter nine, there's about three verses in chapter nine of first Corinthians that he uses a different metaphor. He goes from the soldier metaphor, which he uses in a couple of places in his writings, but then he also uses the athlete metaphor. You know, just a few weeks ago, we had the Olympics and, um, we saw a lot of athletes there and every single Olympian athlete, even the ones that didn't medal, they were highly disciplined, highly trained. They were the best that their country had to offer in that particular sport or, um, you know, wherever they participated participated, wherever they competed, that was the best. And nobody got there on accident. Nobody got there casually. And they said no to a thousand things so that they might say yes to being the best athlete that they can become. One more sip of coffee. Hold on. So Paul takes that metaphor. He's not dealing with the Olympics. He's dealing with the Isthmian games back in the day. But he says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one can receive the prize. So run in order to obtain the prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do not receive a, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And then Paul testifies, says, so I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. I keep it under control. Last, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So again, we have this pain of sanctification, the cost of sanctification. Paul saying, yeah, I'm actually competing, not with you, not with her, not with him, but I'm competing against myself. And you need to understand everybody's running a race. He's talking to all Christians. That's when he says, don't you know that all in a race, all the runners run. So in other words, you're in a race. You, didn't, you maybe not didn't know that. Maybe nobody told you as a follower of Jesus, you're in a race. You're not trying to beat me. I'm not trying to beat you. You're trying to beat yourself. You're trying to outdo what you would be in the flesh. You're trying to rise above what you would be apart from Jesus. You're trying to rise above the standardized norm of what it means to meander. Runners that are in a race don't meander. They don't wander. They don't pause. They don't sit. They don't curl up. They don't quit. He says, no, you're running against yourself and you need to run in order to receive the prize. So in other words, Paul says, run this thing to win it. Christians, can I, can I get with you for a moment? Can, can I give you that little whole, holy harassment that I promise? Are you running to win the prize? And do you know what the prize is? I mean, listen, I've been pastoring a long time. And most of the people that I've pastored have been sincere, nice people. But very few, a very small minority, um, display in their lives that they're actually running their race to win it for the glory of Jesus. 
Most Christians that are in churches don't do that. They attend church and they think, ah, I won. I showed up on Sunday. And that's the extent of their Christianity. Or maybe they go a little further. They say, oh, I served this week. Okay, that's good. That's better than just showing up. Oh, I gave this week. I I gave 10% of my income. Well, bravo. You're among the few that do that. But if, if literally we think that winning the Christian race is going to church, maybe reading a little bit in our Bible, giving a little bit of our money, and serving once a week, that is a shallow uh, reflection of what it means to run the race, to win the race. Paul said that the desire to win the race was so uh, motivating in his life. He says, I don't run aimlessly. I know the map. I know the direction. I know where the finish line is. I keep my eye fixed on it. I know the obstacles along the way. I know what's coming in the sense that there will be obstacles. There will be opposition. There will be pain. There will be suffering. There will be disappointments. There will be betrayals and abandonments. There will be the devil. Don't forget him. There will be a lot of crushing experiences. And Paul says, but I knew that when I started the race because my king told me. If you want to put it in the in the athletic metaphor, my coach told me. I have the best coach in the world who's run all of these races, and he told me what to expect along the way. So I don't run aimlessly. I don't get discouraged and stay discouraged. I don't quit. I don't feel sorry for myself. I don't pity myself. I don't cramp out because the race is difficult. Of course the race is difficult. You're running for the greatest prize that can be offered, and that is not a perishable wreath. That's what they won, and that and we do medals now. In, in Olympic Games, we do medals. Back then, they did crowns or wreaths. And Paul said, yeah, their wreaths are perishable, but we're running our race for a wreath or a crown that does not perish, that doesn't fade away. So he said, so I discipline myself. I bring discipline to myself. So I, after me preaching to others, I don't fail to win my own race. That's an awesome thought. I think this idea that I'm trying to give us here as I'm trying, I think I do this every episode. I probably do. God bless you for continuing to tune in because I don't have 5,000 things I talk about. <laughs> I don't. Those things probably need to be talked about, but that's why there's 5,000 other podcasts. What I'm trying to do is get you lasered in on the fact that you are running your race. Individual accountability. Individual accountability. We can't hide in our churches. We can't blame our parents. We can't blame our kids. We can't blame our spouses. We can't blame our spiritual leaders. We can't blame the prophet that let us down or the pastor that hurt us or the, you know, the apostle that passed us over for somebody else. We, we can't do that. You're running your race and King Jesus says he's equipped you to win it. But if you quit and you get disqualified or you get lazy or you, you, you get distracted or you get off the course, you can't win the race. If you are a soldier and you get entangled in the affairs of this life, trying to be rich, trying to be cool, trying to be liked, trying to be popular, trying to be beautiful, trying to be successful at the expense of kingdom success, then, then you're, you're wasting your life. There's a couple of ways to waste your life, by proactively living for the wrong things and by passively waiting for God to do it for you. Listen, some of you are younger, and one of the blights I've seen, I'm just going to go ahead and call it out, one of the blights that I've seen on young millennials and Gen Zers is you are waiting for God to make it happen for you. 
Some of you are so inundated with hyper-Calvinism that you literally are standing still saying, if God wants me to win, I'll win. And if, well, listen, God does want you to win, but the way that you win is not by waiting on him to do it for you. He actually wants you to cooperate in the process. He actually wants you to bring discipline to your own life. He actually wants you to pay the price of sanctifying yourself to win the race. And so that passivity is killing a generation. Look, if you're in your 20s and you're still waiting around on God to make stuff happen for you, I I, want to tell you, there is a spiritual sense in that we wait upon the Lord. There is a spiritual sense that God has to open doors, but that is never in neutral. It's always proactive. You're always doing what you can do until you get to do what you are called to do. And a lot of Christians never step into what they're called to do because they never did what they could do that may have felt beneath their calling especially in prophetic culture. And I make no apologies for it. I am a charismatic Christian. I believe in dreams, visions, prophecies. I believe in tongues. I believe in signs, wonders, miracles. I pursue the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Right now I'm in a season where I'm praying for a greater depth of tongues in my life. I feel like I've been in the shallows with the gift of tongues in my private prayer life for for a, a few months. And so I'm praying for that. So I believe in all of these things. So I'm part of a charismatic culture in the church, but I'm also biblically grounded. And what I'm seeing is I'm just seeing a lot of people. They're just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for God to do it for them. And they're standing still. And a lot of young Christians are waiting on a platform. And you don't realize you've been deceived by the Instagram and the TikTok and the YouTube culture. And you think that, okay, that's ministry. That is not ministry, or at least that is that alone is not ministry. That if you're not willing to serve behind the scenes in the shadows, some of you just need to get busy doing the mundane thing of serving your local church underneath spiritual authority where you can prove yourself. You need to enter basic training before you're behind the, you know, in the cockpit of the laser guided missile plane. (laughs) You know, you need to swab the deck before you man the torpedoes. And so I'm thinking to myself, what do we got to do, man? We have got to get back into this place where we recognize there is a cost to your sanctification, and it's on you. You've got to pursue it. You've got to get desperate enough to want it to where you're not standing around anymore with your hands in your pockets saying, God, you got to do this thing for me. And by the way, that's not just for the young. I've seen old people do it, man. I've seen old people get really complacent in the, their later years. When I say old, I'm just comparing it to people in their 20s. So I've seen people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and 70s, and they think they did their hard time. They think they're done. You're not done. You know how I know? Because you're alive and you're listening to this podcast. You are not done. You're not done being stretched. You're not done sacrificing. You're not done giving. You're not done. You have, there is no retirement in the kingdom. There is release as you die and you go to be in, with the Lord in glory. You don't get to retire. There is no like, okay, I've, I've reached the end of my discipleship. Really? Have you, have you reached the end of the depths of the glories of God and his infinite worth? then you have not reached the end of your paying the price, your part in sanctification. You know, there's an old verse in the book of Proverbs. I learned it in the, in the King James, and it always intrigued me. I remember like being a brand new Christian and reading through my Bible and coming across Proverbs twenty thirty, And I loved the way it sounded, but I didn't really know what it meant. And this is what it says. It says in the King James is where I learned it. So we're, we're talking f- almost 30 years ago where I came across this and it says the blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil. So do stripes, the inward parts of the belly, the blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil. So do stripes, the inward parts of the belly. And I thought that sounds cool. What does that mean? 
Well, I'll be honest with you. I, I never really understood it until I lived it. And if, if you want to know what it sounds like in the English Standard Version, which is the translation I typically use, this is the way that same verse reads. Blows that wound cleanse away evil. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. Do you know what that verse is teaching? That the beatings and the bruisings, that the mistreatments, that the pain, that the difficulties, that the hardships, that the opposition, that the injustice, that the um, straight up sometimes betrayal, that all of the blows of life, all of the bruises of life, all of the lashes or strokes that come to you in life are good for you. They're good for you. They cleanse away evil, according to Proverbs 20.30. Paul would say it a different way. He that has suffered in the flesh ceases from sin. Strokes make clean the innermost parts, meaning this, a blow to the outside of your body brings pain and discomfort, but if you respond in the right way, it actually strengthens you in your inner man. That is a powerful lesson that people need to lose, uh, need to learn. And we've got to lose this idea that the number one job of spiritual leaders is to constantly comfort, constantly protect, constantly affirm, constantly encourage. That has turned the church into a majestic nursery where diapers must be changed, where bottles must be constantly provided. And what we've got is in this, in the name of, we've got to be affirming. We've got to be encouraging. We've got to be kind. We've got to be gentle. We've got to be compassionate. We've got, and it's an overreaction to religious abuses of years gone by. I get that. So we don't want to be religiously abusive, but now we've gone, the pendulum has swung so far in the other direction that literally people don't know how to suffer. They don't know how to be told no. They don't know, know how to be told Wait. They, they don't need, they, people don't need, they don't understand right now that sometimes it's not your time. It's not your turn. It's not your chance. Sometimes you don't get the spotlight. Sometimes you don't get the open door. Somebody gets it instead of you. And sometimes you're on the bad end of somebody else's negative agenda. And sometimes the enemy comes hard after you. And sometimes the serpent bites and sometimes the scorpions sting. But hallelujah, if you'll respond right, according to Proverbs 20, 30, if you'll respond right by pressing into Jesus and a separating of yourself unto him and his purposes, that this will cleanse away evil, not on the outside of you, but on the inside of you. That's right. You still have parts of you that in comparison to the glory and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, they're evil. You might be a fine, moral, upstanding, wonderful Christian, but you still have components of your heart that are straight up evil. You're not glorified yet. So you're still in the process of being sanctified. And that means Jesus reaches in and grace, compassion, and sometimes some pretty powerful moves. And he wants to pull all evil, all traces of depravity out of me, out of you. And those strokes that happen to you in life, those lashings that happen to you in life, they clean you at the innermost part. That's what sanctification is. Sanctification is that you belong to the Lord, not superficially on the outside, but holistically, deep inside of you, you belong to the Lord. That's why Paul said in the book of Romans in chapter 8, he said, brothers, we're not debtors to our flesh. That means you don't owe your flesh anything. Don't negotiate with your flesh. Your flesh is to bow down as you hammer nails into it and crucify it. 
He says, we're not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. He said, if you live, this is Romans 8, 12 and 13. If you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if you by the spirit, by the spirit, by the spirit, by the spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. Do you get that? You're supposed to be putting to death in, in this very strange way. And I don't mean this flippantly at all. In this spiritual way, you're supposed to kill yourself. Not your physical life. You're not taking your physical life. You're supposed to kill that part of yourself that does not cooperate with the spirit. You put it to death. You don't negotiate with the flesh. You don't manage the flesh. The flesh is your enemy. That's the that's the soldier. That's the athlete mastering themselves so that they win the war and claim the prize. And you've got to do that. Your pastor can't do that for you. Your parents can't do that for you. Only you, by the spirit, can put to death your flesh. And so when these things are compounding, these types of teachings are compounding in scripture, you're, you're left with this picture. By the way, Colossians chapter three says the same thing. It says, put to death what is earthly in you. <laughs> I mean, nobody talks about this stuff anymore. Do you see how far and different this is from the pat on the head, your awesome sermons? You know, we're not trying to communicate that people are bad. Oh, you're terrible. You're an awful, you're an awful creature. You're disgusting. You're a worm. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is because you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, because you are born anew, because you are now an everlasting creature that has eternal life, a wholly different, a whole and different type of life, entirely different inside of you. Because the spirit of God lives in you, because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, because the old has passed away and all things are becoming new, because you're risen with Christ Jesus, because you're seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. Because you are an object of divine love that has chosen you in eternity past, saved you in the present, is sanctifying you in the present, and will glorify you in the future. Because of those things, kill what doesn't belong. Kill your longings that have not, you kill them. Quit going forward in a service and having somebody lay hands on you because you want to get delivered from something. If you'll just do the hard work of crucifying your flesh, there'll be less for you to feel like you need to be delivered of. People are bouncing around from you know altar call to altar call. Lay your hands on me. I need deliverance from this. Well, listen, I believe in deliverance. I practice deliverance. But Christians, here's the thing. Quit going to the man or the woman of God for them to bring something out of you which you can kick out yourself. And never let the, let the stuff in in the first place. You start crucifying your flesh, there'll be less for you to be delivered of. So this is my holy harassment, and uh, I'm doing it in love, but I'm doing it in passion, man. I'm, I'm just fighting for you. You know, I've had people fight for me, man. I've had some people look me in the eye and say, Jeff, you're about to blow it, man. If you don't get your heart straight, if you don't get your life straight, if you don't get your mind straight, if you don't start changing, you're going to end up in a ditch, son. I've had people tell me that before. You know, by the grace of God, I ended up responding in humility and I saw the danger and I entered into process. And this has happened more than once over the, you know, almost 30 years I've been saved. I, there's just moments where God is saying to his church, wake up, quit doing the same things you've been doing. Take ownership of your own testimony and win the race assigned to you because you can. A little holy harassment today on Mavericks and Misfits. Hey, listen, I want to encourage you. Check out transformingtruth.org. 
Lots of resources there to strengthen you in your faith. You can get a copy of my book, Figuring It Out As I Go, right there off of transformingtruth.org, or you can order it on Amazon. And um, I also want to tell you, go to Kineo MTC, K-I-N-E-O-M-T-C, Kineo MTC. That's the website for Kaneo Ministry Training Center. I am now the Chief Operations Officer of that. That's just a fancy title to say I help lead there. God is growing the school. It is time for you to take ownership of your own edification. It is time for you to get the resources and training and equipping that you need to win the race. There is all sorts of options for you to get your degree there. You can begin online, on demand, working at your own place. A pace. You can attend in person in Dawsonville, Georgia. And I, our goal by the end of the year is to have 25 new campuses. I think we're close. We, I know right now we're at about 15. I'm, I'm shooting for 25 campuses by the start of the new year, which will happen in the fall. The new school year. And so, um, listen, Kaneo MTC, it's a chance for you to grow in the faith, to be, be equipped. Uh, I'll be teaching up there full time in the fall. That doesn't take anything away from my wonderful uh, church family at Church at Winder. By the grace of God, I'm able to do these two ministries in addition to Transforming Truth. My plate's full, but my heart's full too. And I'm realizing this is the season to start pouring into people. But listen, we can pour it out all we want, but you got to open up to receive it. And now is the time. So, check back with us next Tuesday for a new episode of Mavericks and Misfits, and we will talk to you next time. Have you picked up a copy of Jeff's book, Figuring It Out As I Go? His life story of abandonment as a child, an embrace of the occult and addiction as a teenager, and a nearly deadly battle with depression and rage as a young adult serves as an intense backdrop to Jeff's supernatural conversion at the age of 24. From there, Jeff writes of powerful seasons of deliverance, healing, and breakthrough, which were followed by tragedy, betrayal, and deep challenges, which only God could turn around. If you want to hear a powerful account of the triumph of God's grace and Jeff's surprising journey into the mysteries of the Holy Spirit, pick up a copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at jefflyle.com or wherever else you buy books. You can also download a copy of Jeff narrating Figuring Out As I Go on audible.com.